HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. Hello, this is Dana Cowan. Welcome to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Today, my guests are Charles Belilis, founder of Souvla, a group of fast, fine Greek restaurants that are inspired by the casual souvlaki joints found throughout Greece. And Jen Pelka, who's the founder of The Riddler, also in San Francisco, which is an extraordinary champagne bar. Jen and Charles are married, so they're in the same business. They are both wildly successful. Jen is in New York about to open The Riddler, which is in fact how this episode came about. I got an email saying that Charles was in New York City to support his wife's opening. And while he was here, he had a little extra time. And I have been in media for actually more than 30 years. And it is the first email I have ever gotten that is about a woman with a trailing husband spouse, particularly a trailing husband who's so ridiculously successful. So I was intrigued. I wanted to know more about this relationship. I wanted to know more about how two very powerful, successful people make it work. And so here you guys are, Charles, Jen, really happy to have you. Oh, that's so nice, Dana. Thank you for having us, Dana. So let's just start at the beginning of the two of you, because there's so much to learn about Jen and so much to learn about Charles. But how did you guys meet? Um, the the way that we met uh, was on a blind date at the restaurant Bennu, Michelin three-star San Francisco restaurant. Um, I was in San Francisco on a business trip. I lived in New York at the time. And I had a reservation at Bennu. Uh, it was a Saturday night, 845 reservation. Super hard to get. Somebody gave me like a big favor by giving me this reservation. And the person I was supposed to go with canceled at the last minute. So I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It would be so rude if I didn't go to this reservation. They moved a lot of things around. So I texted one of my friends and I was like, can you go? She couldn't go. And she's like, well, what kind of guys do you like? And what does that happen? Right. (laughs) Right. I was like, I'm not going to go with a guy to Bennu. She's like, no, no, no. What kind of guys do you like, really? And so I was like, okay, well, dark hair and a beard and into food. So 
she texts me back later and she's like, okay, you have two options. And one was this guy who ran a bike shop. And then she was like, there's this other guy. He's super cute. He used to be Thomas Keller's culinary assistant. He's working on opening a Greek restaurant. Here's his picture. He has a great beard. And she sent me the picture. I was like, ooh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so, so then um, Charles was working on opening Suvla, and he had a, a tasting that night, and um, he had to move a bunch of things around, and he was like, I don't really want to go. But then Jen, our friend who introduced us, she was like, well, she's on expense account, and she's going to Bennu, so you can get a free dinner at Bennu. It's also important to note, that this is several years before Suvla opened, and I was flat broke. And so the notion of being able to go to a restaurant like Bennu, and in my mind, it was I, I could not have afforded to uh, pay for that dinner by a long shop. It was like free meal at Bennu. And, you know, the, the, the sort of funny side story is you, you really get to know somebody after 19 courses. And I, I hadn't met someone that shared the same love and affinity for food and for restaurants and all of that and knew a lot of the same people. That was the first time that I really met someone that, that I really connected with on like a um, personal and sort of emotional level. Yeah. And we had such a good time. We, we were at Bennu and then we continued the conversation over many PBRs at a dive bar afterwards. And we ended up kind of spending that whole weekend together while I was in town. And then I flew back and then Charles um, came out for his birthday, which is right around Valentine's Day. The funny thing about that, first of all, at the time I didn't, I was waiting tables. So I had a lot of freedom and flexibility, not a lot of money, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go out to New York and see, see about a girl. And Jen surprised me effectively for my birthday and took me to Danielle, which I'd never been to Danielle before. And so it's, it's a little crazy. Our relationship started by dining at two Michelin three-star restaurants in the span of right around a month or so. So it was a, a six-star relationship That's from right. the it start. Was a, exactly, That's right. exactly. Like you, right. you and Alain Ducasse, you're kind of neck and neck now. <laughs> right. That's right. So because you were making these special trips, was there a sense of unreality? Like, oh, maybe when this all calms down, we'll see something we hadn't seen. No, I, I, I don't think so. It, it was actually really great starting a relationship long distance. Every time you got together, and we were fortunate that we would probably see each other every four to six weeks or so, and either Jen would come to the West Coast or I'd go to the East Coast, um, it was like a true celebration. I mean, I would I would certainly like live more like a monk for the four weeks in between in, in terms of saving up money and all that fun stuff, but then whenever we were together, you know, blew out all the stops. It's sounding a little insufferably perfect. Anything imperfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the time difference at that time could be really challenging. And I think the decision around should I leave New York to move to San Francisco was a really big decision. I mean, I lived in New York for 10 years and loved it so much and really feel like a New Yorker and had such a huge community here. And I loved my job and I worked at Tumblr and it was super fun. But the decision for me to move out to San Francisco when I decided to make it, it was just like, okay, let's do this. Why not? Like, let's try this as an experiment. But then over some period of time, um, my heart has been pulling me back to New York. And that's something that we, we talk a lot about and think a lot about. And it was less challenging in the beginning and is now something that we are figuring out every day. Because you'd love to be here. And yeah, I love it. I love it in New York. And you both have businesses in San Francisco. Yeah, we both have. I mean, Charles, how many employees do you have at we're, Suvla? Uh, we're a little over 200 right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he can't just like pick up and go, no. nor does he want to. And I've got probably 35 employees in San Francisco. So also have a, a huge 
um, responsibility there as well. I will say it was easier when we when Charles was a server and I had like a somewhat fruitless job <laughs> and like you know a big expense account. That's true, and and we had and we had basically no responsibility back right. then. Right, and now there's so so much more. You both worked for extraordinary men. I'm not going to say in the same positions, but Similar. Ass- assistant-ish. Mm-hmm. Is there anything about being the work wife, if you will, to a powerful chef that stood you either in good stead or was challenging when you're in a relationship of equals? I think that it really taught both of us what it's like to be really close to somebody who works really, really hard and is very good at what they do. Charles was Thomas's culinary assistant. I was Danielle's research assistant. And so we both were doing like tons of project management for them around really creative elements of their businesses. And so one, it was really exciting to learn what those opportunities were and the kind of opportunities that are presented to those two kinds of people. But also you see like what their lives are like. And by having that very insider view into it, I think that that probably has made us understand each other better. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, for me, especially like, you know, I, I had to learn to think like Thomas did and always figure out the right way to be a couple steps ahead um, because he would have so many projects going on that oftentimes he would come in the office and he, and he would already be like three questions into the thing. And, and for me, it's like, it, you can't ask a question, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. I, I have a lot of friends now who were executive assistants to other chefs at the same time when I was Danielle's assistant. And they've all gone on to do really interesting things. Um, and everybody sort of falls within a lineage of a certain restaurant group. So like, they're all very different. And you can like, everyone within those organizations is really cut from a specific cloth. So... You know, the Thomas Keller people are very different from the Danielle people. And I think... How that, do you describe that? And does that oh, reflect the two of you? It must. Completely. Totally. For completely sure. Completely represents both of us. I was, I was having a conversation about this with a, with a friend of mine last night. There is something akin to, at least with, with respect to TRG, where there's almost a mentality of like a Marine where you may not have worked with that individual before. But everyone kind of spoke the same language and there was an understanding. And so it's very detail-oriented. It is very organized. It is it is very just methodical. And also, I mean, there's a there's a work ethic that's that's there that you don't see in other places. I think it's also if you look at two extremes, like risk taking versus risk averse, I would say Danielle takes tons of risk, says yes to lots of things. So many creative projects, probably too many. And Thomas and his team always are, their default answer is no. I would say Thomas's default answer is no. Danielle's default answer is yes. And I would say that that is both true for Charles and I <laughs> big time. Yeah. No, it's true. With, with, I mean, we're presented, I'm presented with opportunities on a, on a weekly basis. And, and we say no to basically 99% of opportunities. But then when we, when we find something that we want to do, and whether it's a restaurant or some sort of a brand extension, then it's like, we're in it. And it's, and it's all systems go, and like the team's lined up, and we're, we've got a plan in place, and you know, we're, we're on a timeline, we're on a budget, we're on an execution, there's that. As opposed to just like, oh, yeah, let's just do it, and we'll figure it out. 
which is <laughs> how I operate. <laughs> and we do. We figure it out. But Charles and I have, have kept our two businesses completely separate. And I think that that is one of the things that has provided sanity in our and personal think, relationships. I, and I think uh, that, the, that that's been a, like a, a, a big part of our success as a married couple. That was like a very conscious thing going into this that we wanted to make sure was done. And so just to, to, to further clarify, we run our businesses completely separate from a legal technical standpoint. They're different entities and we don't even share investors um, in terms of, you know, someone who's invested in the Riddler, you know, has not invested in Suvla and, and vice versa. Um, and neither of us own any percentage of each other's businesses. And that I think is actually super helpful because now it takes any sort of bias out of the equation and we're able to really help advise and guide each other in something that's best for the individual and best for the business without any sort of personal like, oh, I, I think she should do this because therefore I can benefit financially in, right. in another way. Right. Although you all, I mean, since you're married, you kind of... Sure. No, of course, but, but sure, also... But even, I mean, I'll be pretty frank about this, because I'm sure there are people who are listening who are curious about this. Like, we, we keep things, even within our marriage, pretty separate from a financial standpoint, and that's something that was really important to us, because both of us are business owners, and so, yeah, of course, we have shared community property, but we also don't have truly financial interests in one another's company. And so that's something that we talked a lot about before, and it's really how we've approached our relationship all along. Like we've had contracts between the two of us. I don't know, since like a couple months into our relationship where it was like, uh, well, certainly like when we first moved to San Francisco around rent and how we were going to handle that. And in a good way, because I think like any good marriage, there's, there's, there's good and bad and thick and thin and, and all that stuff. And I mean, going back to the, to the funny Bennu story, it's like Jen had a really great job when she moved to San Francisco. Like I was flat broke and waiting tables and like trying to get this crazy idea off the ground. And we moved in together because I was living in this kind of little tiny studio. And in the two years, or at least the year and a half that I think that you were here before Suvla got up and running, I couldn't really afford to pay what would have been my equitable share of the rent. And so Jen carried me through that. And then there, there have been, as Jen's transitioned through jobs and as she started her own companies, this, the sort of pendulum swung back in her direction. And, I, and thankfully, I was in a position where I could basically return the favor, if you will. So this notion of the pendulum swing, because one person has a job, the other person doesn't quite. How does that conversation happen do we, it. I mean, we do a quarterly reconciliation on our finances and we talk about it. And sometimes we're in a better spot as a couple and sometimes we're in a worse spot. And we just kind of take it each, I'd say, quarter at a time. Let's turn that into advice because I think that's really sure. interesting. I don't think yeah. most couples do that, probably. I think a lot of people have like family budgets. Right. And household so this is budgets. Your, it's your version but of it. Yeah, it's budget. sort of budget it's a lot of future planning like we just bought a cabin in healdsburg that's a fixer-upper that we really want to put some you know significant resources towards but we're not really yet in a position to be able to do that so we're trying to figure that out it's it's really about us like sitting down going through our expenses in the way that you would with a budget with a business or, or a household <laughs> as a business as i say um and going through that and just being really honest and transparent about it and then thinking about okay what are the next three months six months nine months look like what do we what do we want to be doing in two years what do we want to be doing in five years how do you take the emotion out of it no it's it's emotional every single time 
because always one of us walks into the conversation in a better or worse position than we were the last time we talked. And also like we have big ambitions for what our lifestyle will be. You know, we want to have a couple houses. We want to travel a lot. We like to eat well, dine well. Those kinds of we, we have definitely downscaled on the three star Michelin. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> just for yeah. just for the listeners out there, it's like <laughs> we don't we don't do that. Maybe once right. a year tops at this point. Like it's not. Yeah, no, no, no. We I, I think that we're as as metered about it as we can be, but it's emotional every time because it's just easy to get emotional about money no matter what whether it's in your business whether it's in your house i think it's like anything else like the anticipatory fear <laughs> is always worse than the actual conversation and so once you really sit down and look at status quo and talk through it it's like okay well this is okay here's what we're going to do going forward i feel that way in the same in the same way around financial conversations with my business or businesses is that just regularly keeping on top of it makes it feel much more in control than completely avoiding it. So you actually worked or for Suvla, right? You did the PR for Suvla. So was that your first client? So my company Magnum PR, which is a PR agency that's based in San Francisco and does, um, represents a lot of really amazing San Francisco based restaurants. Um, our first client was Suvla and a great example of, us having a business relationship with a contract was I was leaving open table and um, I used to work there on the marketing team and left. I went to a startup. I left that startup and was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And Charles was like, well, you're really good at this PR thing. You've been sort of doing it for Suva for a long time. What if you started a company? And I was like, well, I don't have any financial resources to do it. I don't know who my clients would be. And Charles was like, well, what would you what would you need? And I, so we ran some numbers and he said, OK, well, what if we paid you up front for six months of services? And um, so Charles took the leap and was our first client. And without Suvla, we wouldn't have started an agency. And now that agency has grown to be a really significant, really important part of San Francisco. But without that initial um, support, we would have never been able to do it. And was there some fear in that? Like, were you engaged at the time or? Mm. I think that was pre-engagement. I, I agree. I think it was pre-engagement. Yeah. I don't think it was scary up front, but we definitely ran into a couple road bumps along the way. And those were always consistently around this sort of tension around you're my boyfriend or my fiance or my husband. And we talk a lot about Suvla, both in the context of a PR meeting and then also a lot of the rest of our personal lives. And so classically over serving a client who gets a lot of extra <laughs> service. But then um, on the other hand, it's so much easier for me to be like really loosey goosey with Suvla as a client. And then Charles will sometimes say, Hey, you're not paying attention to us right now. And I'm paying you thousands of dollars a month from my company to your company. Like, you have a responsibility to our company just as much as you do to any other client. And so that's always a balance. And I think we've gotten pretty good at it at this point. But it's been it's been challenging, I think, also for me to transition the client work with Suvla to other members of my team. It's sometimes challenging for my team. It's sometimes challenging for Charles and the Suvla organization. But that's like always something that we're working through. And Charles, did you feel at all like, hey, I've got this, you know, like very smart, very sexy girlfriend, and now I'm going to have to keep on top of her to make sure that my PR gets done? Yeah, sure. I think by the time that the Riddler 
the first Riddler had started, Jen had already transitioned out of being sort of our client manager. Uh-huh. So I had already gotten used to working with someone on her team. We kind of ease into it at that point. Um, but then it but then it just it gets a little tricky because something doesn't go right or you have an issue with with an, with one of her people and then it becomes dinner conversation. I mean, it's very rare that you have the opportunity as a as a as a client <laughs> to effectively have pillow talk with your service provider, back channeling <laughs> be like, "So and so really screwed this thing up," you know, at this time and it's like, "You need to talk to her." You know, like how often does that happen in in, you know, any sort of restaurant world uh, environment? So, something that I'm interested in is how two people can support each other completely, right? And, like, as someone who's close to her, are there occasions on which, like, you could see through and inside of her in a way that she couldn't herself to bring something to the surface? Wow. Deep question. We've we've been together for seven years, and we think a lot alike. She and I can see the same thing or want to make the same comment. And so now it's actually a little bit more about restraint because if we point out the flaw or the inconsistency or something like that, 99.9% of the time, the other person has already noticed it and like they're already working on it. So then someone that's coming along and saying, hey, did you see this thing? It's like, yes, I know. I got it. Like I'm working on it. Just like don't pour salt in this wound right now. Yeah. I mean, I think a, an interesting example is that Charles and I are pretty different in our approach. Let's say we'll give a specific example of restaurant openings. So if Charles were to be opening a restaurant in New York at the end of this month. As you are. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be here right now. And that's no offense to you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not even a question of if he would be comfortable with where we are at the moment with the opening. It's just like, it's not even a question. It would He would just be in a very different mode of his process than I am. Like, it's taken me a really long time to hire our leadership team because I'm really, really want to make sure I have the right people. And I think Charles would have, like, hired those people. He's also extremely cautious about who he hires, but he would probably hire, like, a chef and a GM and a beverage director and, like, half of the staff, like, six months before opening. You know, we're in a really, really great space uh, and we're we're going to be ready to open, but we have we have a different approach. But we talked about this probably three months ago about how I feel going into this opening and where I want to be, and we just really recognized that we approach those two things in a very different way. Like that separation of our businesses that's that's a very clear example of if Charles was like a part owner in the Riddler right now, he would be freaking out. Like we would not be here. I would be in trouble and like it would not be a good thing. So and keeping the, it separate, he's like, okay, you want to be here right now? That's great. Sure. And, and and the other the other important distinction to make related to the keeping of the businesses separately, we have very complementary skill sets. So Jen is a very creative person that does an amazing job on the PR, media relations, messaging all of that sort of space, but doesn't have an operations background um, or a development background or a finance background or any of those things. Um, And I came up in operations. Um, And so the fact that Jen doesn't have an operations background and I do is actually super helpful. Um, And it's also helpful because the businesses are kept separately. So we spend basically all of our time outside of our businesses talking about our businesses, but talking about our businesses in in a really healthy, productive way. Does that ever seem like 
too much like you'd actually like to no it's so fun (laughs) (laughs) it's truly what we love to do so we're always coming up with restaurant concepts like we've talked about opening a concept together and then that seems like that contradicts every single thing i know that's why we haven't done it (laughs) i just wonder if the lack of jealousy um that's true um, that's funny i've never even thought about that we are not jealous of each other at all at all no how is that I don't. I've truly never even thought about it. Well, I think I think what helps is the fact that we run fundamentally two very different businesses, excluding the PR side. So if you just look at the restaurant side of things, I mean, Jen runs a champagne bar, right? That is physically very small and a very in a very sort of niche sort of subject matter um, that deals in a very high end luxury item, but is also catering to. A, a, a greater community, but there's very clearly this, this women-centric focus to it with her all-female investor base, which she's found so much success in being able to not only raise capital, but just be able to sort of evangelize. Um, and where I run these fast, fine counter-service restaurants that serve, I mean, Suvla now serves on average 23,000 people a week uh, out of four restaurants. I mean, these are small but very high volume affordable price point you know counter service online to go delivery all of those things i mean they 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 exist at opposite ends of the spectrum so you can't make an apples to apples comparison but you can success to success and growth and visibility and I mean, I'm not trying to impose jealousy. I'm just maybe now we're gonna get into it. I mean, I can I can can think of things that, like in theory, I could be jealous of, which is specifically Suvla's insane like financial success and runaway like the amount of obsession that San Franciscans have for it. Like, it wouldn't really make sense for the Riddler to have that particular success. We have success in other ways that we're really proud of. I think we're both really focused on our own organization's goals and uh, working towards achieving those. And our goals are quite different. I mean, listen, I just think it's great that Chelsea has never even like, <laughs> like come up as an yeah. idea. I think that the only challenge on a related note, and it has nothing to do with jealousy, it has more to the fact that we spend you know, all of our time working on our businesses. And so there is an inherent bias that when we get home and we sit down and we, and we get caught up that we, there's a, there's an innate desire for us to talk about the things that, that we're working on and like what happened in our day and all that other stuff. And, and this, I think this goes both ways, but I'm certainly guilty of it where it's like, what about me? You know, it's like, we've just spent the last two hours talking about Suvla and that's great. And like, good for you. And like all that other stuff, but it's like, there's stuff that I want to share with you too. And so, and so finding the right, balance on a on a on a daily basis is also super important and that's and that's been definitely you know an evolution you know for me and i think for us well with that we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to hear more from charles and jen about what it's like to live together work together and really exceed as a couple This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. 
Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Heritage Radio Network makes your favorite food podcasts. And now we need you to lend your voice to our community and show your support of food radio. Become a member today. HRN releases 35 weekly shows each week and is a globally respected voice in food media. But believe it or not, we're still a very small grassroots organization. HRN is powered by a small but mighty staff of four people and HRN's incredible hosts who volunteer their time to bring you the best food podcasts out there. Our hosts are experts in their field, whether it's food writing, mixology, culinary history, craft beer, LGBTQ issues, and so much more. And they're committed to making sure that the stories that matter to you keep coming each week. We believe that a thoughtful, committed group can change the world. So join us. Add your voice and support HRN by making a donation of any amount. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Okay, welcome back. I'm so happy to be here with uh, Charles and Jen. So in, in the industry, uh, there's so much talk around supporting women and women supporting women. And men are not really in that conversation very much. Not yet. I feel like they need to be and should be. And I'm wondering what the two of you, what your opinions are on the ways in which we can create a more equal equitable well i, I mean i will just come out and say that that all of my restaurants are run by women basically um so we have a we have a, a small leadership team of six um half of whom are women and there are two women on the operations side um that have both have been with souvla for five years um basically the entirety of of the business and started in line level roles um, and they run our restaurants. And we have women running, let's see, three of the four restaurants are run by women on the front of house side. And we've got one of our restaurants is, has a female kitchen manager, which is the most sort of senior role um, in the kitchen. That restaurant happens to be the best performing on the culinary standpoint. Um, and we have women in, in other roles. And so much of our success has to do with the fact that our restaurants and it's no coincidence, are, are, are truly run on the day-to-day by women. And why do you think that makes a difference? I think that there's something to be said for there's a certain degree of temperament and approach and even-keeledness that they bring in general. I'm obviously speaking in generalizations here. We did a, a, a pretty remarkable exercise for, for the first time in, in five years. I, I took our leadership team, so this, this group of six, and we did an off-site one-day retreat. We very rarely get a chance to talk about bigger picture, whether it's goals or visions or long-term strategy or any of those things. We, we started off that day, I had everyone take a personality assessment, a Myers-Briggs. And, and what was so remarkable is that the two women that run our restaurants, our, our restaurant operations manager and assistant restaurant operations manager, effectively had the same Myers-Briggs sort of personality type. 
And these two women started in line-level roles. They were counter-servers five years ago and have worked their way up into the two most senior positions within our organization. So I just basically asked the question, is like, why did this happen? What makes the two of you so unique in that? And how can we continue to identify people like you and support and mentor and grow people like, like the two of them? But do you think that that it's more of a personality style or that it's that they're women? I think that it's a combination of the two. Interesting. But I think, I think that they do go hand in hand. Obviously, not every woman has their personality of type. Of course. But I, but, I, but I do think that there is a relation to not only personality type, but also their gender. So did you have a great woman role model? Like, I mean, my, my mother is a, is a badass. I mean, she has done so many... She's done so many things um, over the years. I mean, she is an immigrant, came to the States in, like, I think sophomore or junior year of high school from Greece, spoke no English, went to Northeastern to the engineering program in the 70s when women were not going to college to become engineers, was a civil engineer, started her own businesses out of our home, raised myself and, and, and my younger sister. And now, I mean, she speaks three languages, so now she's a professional medical and legal uh, interpreter. But, I mean, she would just always had that mindset like she could basically do whatever she wanted to do. I feel like your mom and I have a similar, yeah. like, we can do anything kind of vibe. For sure. For sure. The, the two of you are helping shape the industry as it moves forward. And you both hire lots of people what is it that each of you like in a message in the bot in a bottle to the industry want to say about inclusion diversity right we're talking about women but we're really talking about inclusion and making what has been a very white cisgender male universe more inclusive more open and more exciting I think one of the most important things is that we need to have these conversations with lots of different kinds of people in the room. I think one of the things that really frustrates Charles is that I, I speak on panels all the time that are about what it's like to be a female operator in the restaurant community. And in a lot of cases, he's not even allowed to be in the room because they'll be at like a women's club and like men are not welcome, which. Which I call bullshit on. I'm sorry. I mean, as, as, as someone, and, and obviously, you know, our conversation today started about the fact that I flew out to New York to help support Jen and, and put tables together and help her open her, her restaurant. Like, as any good spouse would, male, female, doesn't really matter. You want to be there to support the other, certainly for these opportunities. And I just think that it's, I think that it's really, really screwed up that, that men aren't physically allowed to be there for that event. And um, in the cases when you... It's not, sorry, it's not, it's... Nothing is going to change if you don't involve the other gender in the conversation. If I'm not allowed to go, I just think that that's a that's a, a, a major failure on the part of whether it's the organizer or just like the lar- like the like the broader conversation. And what do you think you bring to it? I don't have to bring anything to it, but just just I just I'm know, not I'm not accusing you of no, not no, no, bringing no, no. something. I, I'm just I, just it's just it's the it's the mere fact that. I want to be there for my wife, and I know that it would mean a lot to her if I was there to support her. That's in the, like I don't have to ask a question or you know be asked for a comment or any of that stuff. But I think it's also it's like so weird to me. There are so many women's 
events and groups and activities and blah, blah, blah. And now, like, a group of dudes can't just get together and talk about things. And I often feel that Charles, like, like, I have all these amazing groups of women, and it's a little bit frustrating, I think, for guys. Like, I I don't know. It feels like in some cases there's, like, a target on their back or they can't necessarily feel comfortable, like, getting, getting together as a group in the same way that maybe they used to. But I think especially when it comes to these things like these open panels, talks, discussions, et cetera, like, it's pretty useless for us to get a group of only women together to talk about what it's like to be a woman in the workplace or the fact that it's harder to raise money being a woman or, like, constantly talking about how we are victim to these things and I find that if we're gonna have those conversations we've got to make sure that at least 20 or 30 or 40 percent of people who are in the room are actually guys and so encouraging people when they are giving talks to like invite a couple guys to the room and or even or even have them be be part of the conversation absolutely just think about just think about what I was talking about two and a half minutes ago about how I've built my leadership team and how we run our restaurants just because I'm a guy doesn't mean that I can't talk about the importance of including women in a in a restaurant organization. You know, I'm not the authority on it, but like I have someone with experience and and can show the level of success as a result of being inclusive. But not having not whether it's it doesn't need to be me, Charles, but it could be other people. I mean, I'm not the only person that has that has come to that realization. So to have a panel of women and have you know, a couple guys as part of that talking about this, I think is also important. I totally agree. I mean, we do live in a, like a multi-gendered, but like a, you know, a big wide world. That Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, Jen, because of course you got your funding from women and mm-hmm. that was almost by accident. When you think about funding in the future, do you think I of- think we'll always stick with only female investors, uh-huh. but I will say um, in New York, we have our first member of our leadership team who is a guy. And- you know, we're equal opportunity employers and most of the super, super qualified candidates who apply to work with us are women because I think they read a lot about our story and are really inspired by working with women. But this guy, Jonathan, who we met, like our first interview I had with him in the tiny, small part of the lobby at the wing that you're allowed to have guys in. And, you know, he felt comfortable in that space you know, and that's that's kind of a test of like, are you going to be somebody who's going to be cool in this space? And he said that he was really attracted to working for the company because it was women led. You know, we put it in our job descriptions and and ultimately he was the best candidate for the role of everybody who we interviewed. And he's like a perfect fit for the job. And so we're really excited to have him on the team. And I chalk that up to like an example of now we've got a guy on the team who's going to have the experience of working um, with a leadership team of six women who he who are more senior than him. And he's a super accomplished guy who's an advanced SOM, who's worked in amazing fine dining restaurants. And like it's going to be an interesting experience for him to work in that environment. And I think that it's also really important for us to get his perspective on it. And do you think you'll get any blowback on Jonathan? Um, we might, but I think that having a conversation about it and talking about inclusivity is, is something that's really important. I think that the criticism that could be made is something around along the lines of like, you've got to be kidding me of all of the Psalms in all of New York. You couldn't find one who was a really great and qualified candidate. And we've met many extremely qualified women, but there was something about this particular candidate who we really loved and we thought he was the right fit for the role. We've still got loads of opportunities for women on the team. At the end of each show, I ask the guests to have a shout out to a a woman who inspires them, who you want more people to learn about. And 
I ask each of you, who would that women, woman be? Mine is, I have a couple of them, but I'll, I'll call out MC. Um, her name is Mary Catherine Edmondson. She's our GM and beverage director in San Francisco. Um, she started on our team as a, as a sommelier and then has worked her way up again and again and again. Um, and now she really oversees the entire program. She's like my, my true right hand. And I always know that she's got everything like completely taken care of in San Francisco. And she's just amazing. She's, she's destined for real, real big things. And if she ever wants to run her own restaurant, it's going to be a really special place. Um, you know, we have so many women who are like the man behind the man. It's just a, a really, really powerhouse group of women. But I, I truly could not run the business without MC Edmondson, who every day makes things tick in San Francisco. Charles? Uh, I, I I mentioned her earlier in the in the podcast, though though not by name, and and um, I mean it, a, a very special shout out to uh, Lauren Baker, who's our restaurant operations manager, uh, who a week from uh, today actually will celebrate her five year anniversary with Suvla, and she, as I may mention earlier, started in the original back when there was only one Suvla as a as a counter server, and I remember her coming walking through the front door like with a resume looking for a job and she was you know super shy and very soft-spoken and you know I was like but you know very friendly at the same time and it's like okay we'll give you a shot and never certainly back then five years ago would I think that she would I mean she runs all of our restaurants and with a with a with a level of care and empathy and just understanding that I, I honestly even I can't bring to the operation anymore and she has been able to instill the values and the ethos and the and the and that sort of internal drive of of what Suvla is and I'm just so proud of of what she has been able to accomplish and I and I and I truly would not be able to be sitting here no, I mean, across the country, you know, having, you know, for the last hour and a half, having this conversation, not having to worry about what's happening in our four restaurants and our 200 plus employees and, and, and all of that stuff, because I know that she's she's got it under control um, and, that, and, that, and that she's, you know, making sure that, that we keep Suvla as, as special and as unique and as, and as amazing as it has been since the very beginning. So that's it for this very, very special episode. I want to just thank you, Charles and Jen, for joining me today. And all of you listeners, um, I'd love to know what you think. I'd love to um, start a conversation around how we can all together um, be in the same room, have these important conversations, and move forward. Have a really great week. I'm Sherry Bayer, the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about HOST, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020 at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my All in the Industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Drew Niporent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, 
curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. Many thanks. Speaking Broadly is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.